Well, if you just heard that dog bark, <laughs> <laughs> that means you're ready for the podcast to start. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Christian, your co-host of Go Forth. And I am Jude, but some call me Crab. No. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I'm so tired. Uh, funny. Well, we're funny. only two weeks late again. No, one week late. One week late, two weeks since our last one. That's not even that long. I mean, we think about two weeks in the span of the history of time. Yeah. Like, and I, I mean, I don't know about you, but nobody hit me up like, hey, Jude, your podcast is late. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yeah. right, people. Now that I think about it, me neither. You find, <laughs> you find out who your real listeners are. Uh, that's okay, because we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep doling them out until we become famous. That's, so. Or until we evangelize all the Muslims. Yes. I mean, whatever happens first. I'm really, I'm really open to either. I don't know. It'll be a close, close race. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, me and Jude are actually recording in the same room again. Mm. Like last time, kind of crazy. So maybe the quality will sound better. Um, we're actually here in Jude's hometown. Where's that, Jude? Great, the 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 late, the great Homa, Louisiana. If you don't know where Homa, Louisiana's at. Homa, Louisiana's. <laughs> if you don't know where Homa, Louisiana is, <clears throat> then you stand with the majority of this world. That's okay, but it's in South Louisiana. And if you ever get the opportunity to come, you should reconsider your options. <laughs> Find a cool. <laughs> no, no, dude, no, that's a rough thing to say considering a lot of our listeners are from here. Hey, no, I love my Homa people. I love Homa. Love South Louisiana. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. <clears throat> So, well, Jude, um, I know we both just got finished running summer camps, yours in Georgia, mine here in Louisiana. How were your How were your summer camps? They were crazy. Um, summer camps are always a crazy time. Day one, a kid broke his wrist, which was <laughs> amazing. Um, amazing. That was sarcasm. It was awful, and um, yeah. I killed a couple snakes, so that was fun. That's good. And, I mean, what's better than watching a bunch of middle school kids get immersed in virtue and the sacraments? Um, so, yeah, it was amazing. I was super blessed to be a part of that, that um, I guess, team to put it together and make it happen. What about yours, Kreb? Mr. Awesome. Camp Director. Oh, Mr. Camp Director. Now, mine were good as well. Um, very similar, actually. Uh, we had a broken pinky, not wrist. Juicy. It's like bent sideways. It was actually pretty insane. Um, we didn't kill snakes. We actually caught some snakes. Well, that's inconsiderate. And they are now being kept as pets, not by me, but by a fellow missionary. Mm, just throwing people under the bus. No, no, no. I mean, he's a cool guy and all. Um, no, but yeah, the camps went well. Um, we had a middle school camp and a high school camp. Um, and I really feel like both of them went really well. And a boy. So, well, cool. 
Um, yeah, so that's enough catching up. Yeah, so. that's enough. I'm done. That's let's, for sure. Let's just jump into it now. You can jump because that seems to be the the thing nowadays. We used to like have a long conversation before, but talk about our feelings. People were very indifferent about that. So now we're just we're on the the swing of jumping right into the topic. Rightfully so, though. So here's how the topic was chosen for today. Actually, um, me and Jude were in adoration earlier in front of the Eucharist, right? And I was like praying and I was like, Lord, what do you want the podcast to be about today? And then I looked up and I saw the Eucharist and I was like, all right, well, there it is. (laughs) That was easy. And that's it. (laughs) That was basically. And then the Lord appeared before me. Mm, Nah. Well, the Lord was there before you. Well, yeah, no, he was. And we're going to get into that. How that's even possible. I didn't appear. So we were just thinking maybe we could answer some common questions about the Eucharist. Um, I mean, basically, if you really want to know a lot more in-depth facts about the Eucharist, check out the Catechism of the Catholic Church because it's got all the answers. And that's where a lot of our answers will be coming from today because they're just very clearly written out and very... uh, they're very deep and very spiritual, so Jude. Yeah, yeah, what's up? How about I ask you the first question? Okay, no pressure. I'm ready. Is the Eucharist really the body and blood of Christ? Hmm. Um <clears throat> Well, contrary to popular belief, yes. In fact it is. The Eucharist is um the true flesh of Jesus Christ um and the the flesh and blood so that is what we believe so does that mean it's cannibalism when we receive the eucharist cannibalism um yeah it's actually funny when people like say that because i don't know i don't think i've ever had a super clear answer <laughs> for yeah, that actually like um i mean obviously it's it's not cannibalism, um, but people would say like, so you would just go up to Jesus and take a bite out of his arm or whatever. Like, yeah, no, not exactly. Like it's different. Um, it's um, through transubstantiation, it's made from bread into the body of Christ. So, um yeah, no, not cannibalism. So actually, I can help you out there. Um, hey, another, thanks. and we can do that by going on to another commonly asked question, which is, um, it's basically like how, how can the Eucharist be the body and blood of Christ, but still look like bread and wine, mm. right? And so you use that word transubstantiation. Um, so, yeah, maybe we could dive a little deeper on that. So there's there's two things, right? There's substance and there's form. Form is kind of the physical appearance and physical um, attributes of an object, but then there's substance, right? So as an analogy, we could say a human, right? So in form, they have their body and everything that comes with their body, right? But what is the substance of a human, well, we would say that the substance is the soul, right? It's something that you don't see. 
It's something very abstract, but it's there. You know it's there. Because, I mean, like, I don't know how many of you have seen a dead person, but you know, like, when that person's dead, there's something missing. Like, there's something that that used to be there that's not there anymore, you know? And that's that's that that substance. Like, the body's still there, right? So if Jude were to die, there's his body right there, right? So is that still Jude? It's kind of weird because after people die, we just say, like, that's their body, you know? You don't say, that's Jude anymore. Like that No, that's Jude's corpse. Well, what makes it Jude again? And it's that substance, right? So if we relate that to the Eucharist, it's the same same idea, right? So in the Mass, the priest consecrates the bread and the wine, right? Through this this act called transubstantiation, which means change in substance. So the substance of this bread and wine is changing to the body and blood of Christ. But the form, which is that physical appearance, stays the same, right? It's still bread and wine in, in form and appearance, but the substance has changed to the body and blood of Christ, which is why I guess you could say that it's not cannibalism, right? Because that form, that physical aspect is still just bread and wine, but in substance, it's the body and blood of Christ. Well, that's super good. I was not ready for that. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to say something that profound. <clears throat> oh, um, that's hmm. not insulting. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you had it in you. <laughs> but you know what? <clears throat> Crab's a good guy and he's full of great, um, great wisdom. But one thing I started thinking of when um, you started saying that, Christian, was um, people who struggle with believing um, that the Eucharist is actually the body and blood of Christ. And, and I encourage you guys, I don't think we should go into it right now because that would definitely be um, a long topic. But looking at the Eucharistic miracles, seeing when Christ, um, <clears throat> Christ chose to reveal what the Eucharist actually, actually is, um, like the one time in in Lanciano, I believe it was, turning the the Eucharist into his true flesh. Um, well, his true flesh, like actual, no no longer, um, <clears throat> the substance was no longer bread. The substance was actual human the flesh. The form. The form. The substance. The form. The form changed as well as the substance. The form changed as well as the substance. <clears throat> Sorry, I got those two confused. Okay. Um, so, the... Yeah. Okay. The form changed as well as the substance. And so, they um, they did, like, some tests on it and stuff. And they were... <clears throat> they, they researched it, whatever. And they found out that um, that particular... That particular um, piece of flesh was live heart tissue which is absolutely amazing so it's it's amazing to think that that is what the eucharist is for us um christ's actual body christ's his body blood soul and divinity and he makes himself present for us and how humble he is to make himself present in the form of bread it's actually crazy that you mentioned eucharistic miracles i mean this wasn't planned at all but you just kind of randomly mentioned it um, a few years ago, I had the opportunity of meeting this scientist. 
he came and gave a talk to a group I was with. And the scientist, he used to be an atheist, right? And so whenever these some of these Eucharistic miracles started popping up, they the the church would hire these scientists, right? And but they wouldn't just hire like Catholic scientists, right? They wouldn't hire scientists that are very religious. They would hire a wide range of scientists from different beliefs so that it wasn't biased to do the experiments. And so this one particular scientist that was giving the talk to my group, he used to be an atheist and he got hired to work on some of these Eucharistic miracles. And I think he said he's worked on about 11 different Eucharistic miracles in his line of work. Um, Just to jump forward real quick, he's now, after working with the miracles, he's now like a profound Catholic, very, very strong in his beliefs. And I think his story can attest to why. So basically, through his experiments, um, out of the 11 or 12 Eucharistic miracles he's worked on, from all different places around the world, they were all the same exact tissue, like same DNA and everything, like like it was from the same person, which really doesn't make sense. And then uh, another cool part of his story, this was a few years ago, so I am kind of hazy on the exact details, but another cool part of the story was um, he had taken, he, he was examining one of the pieces of tissue, right? And normally whenever blood leaves the body the white blood cells i think they are die like as soon as they expose oxygen it's either the white or red um let's just say white either way um (laughs) i think it's the white blood cells die as soon as they leave the body well the blood cells that were part of this blood that came from the eucharistic miracle they should have been dead because they're exposed oxygen but they were not they were all alive which that is another miracle right there um and then after further examining, he found out that the, the tissue was heart tissue, like Jude said earlier. And he said that it was under a lot of stress, like the, the tissue was very stressed. And so he was very confused by this. So he had sent it to one of his friends. He sent the sample over to one of his buddy scientists, didn't tell him what it was from, didn't tell him anything about it. He just said, I want you to look at this, like, tell me what you think. And his buddy sent him back a report and said, Basically, he said, your patient, he referred to it as a patient, like as if this was a living person, he said, your patient is under a lot of stress, like, like he's about to die, like he should be dead due to the amount of stress he's under. Um, it's kind of crazy, like, yeah, so it, I don't know, it was insane, just this testimony he gave, um, and then to meet somebody that's worked on these and can attest to all that, Eucharistic miracles are insane, if you haven't heard about them, like, look them up. Agreed. Yeah, I definitely encourage you guys to look at um, the different Eucharistic miracles. Get into that. It's something that you shouldn't base your faith on, obviously, but it can really help your faith to read about like when Christ chose to reveal um, in those moments to those people that um, that it is truly him in the Eucharist. So super beautiful. But crap, what's the next What's the next big question you think people have? So I think the next question is, I mean, we have them written down, so I'm just kind of go through them. But uh, how can the priest change the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ? Like, how does he have that ability? Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's 
Um, that's pretty big. But I think the thing to understand is the priest isn't the one changing it, right? It's God who changes it. It's the, it's the priest who acts in the person of Christ, in persona Christi. Um, so that is what, that's what's happening. Christ is a- acting through um, this priest to make himself available for all people. Um, well, I guess in this sense, for all people, but through the Catholic faith. <laughs> I, okay, we'll get to that later. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one important thing to understand. Like, the, the priest isn't the one just doing everything, right? It's because Christ called him um, out of the world to something different. Christ ordained him. Christ is still the one who has the the final say, right? Christ is the one who's doing all of the, I guess you can say the heavy lifting, the transformation of that bread into his flesh. So yeah, maybe we can pull, pull this quote straight from the catechism. Should be very clear with it. So the catechism says, this is 1410 in the catechism of the Catholic church. It says it is Christ himself, the eternal high priest of the new covenant who acting through the ministry of the priests offers the Eucharistic sacrifice. And it is the same Christ really present under the species of bread and wine, who is the offering of the Eucharistic sacrifice. So yeah, that's, that's directly from the catechism. Um, And another cool thing. So this is from, this is also from the catechism, but it's a quote from let's see who's it from St. Ambrose no Saint no this one's from St. John Chrysostom. Oh okay. He says that it is not man that causes the things offered to become the body and blood of Christ, but he who is crucified for us, Christ himself. The priest in the role of Christ pronounces these words, but their power and grace are God's. This is my body, he says. This word transforms the things offered. So yeah, I mean, that just reaffirms what Jude was saying, right? So it's not the priest himself, but it's Christ working through the priest. And we've talked about the whole idea of in persona Christi before, how a priest can act in the person of Christ. So, yeah, I think. Boom. I boom. think that's awesome. Hopefully that clears that up for you guys. Um, <clears throat> all right, Crab, you've asked me two questions. I'm ready to ask you one. Let's do it. Let's do it. So earlier you said you and this dude Jude went to um, adoration, whatever that is. And you said you were sitting in front of the Eucharist praying. So what, I guess, like, why do you make visits to the Eucharist? Like, why do you sit there in front of the Eucharist? Does that give you some type of, like power or like what <laughs> like what like what happens hmm. i don't get it yeah. well i mean no. i mean it's pretty obvious right if we believe that the eucharist is christ truly present then why would we not be adoring him right in the eucharist so this actually comes from the catechism as well but i think this really puts it into clear clear words says this is 1418 in the catechism it says because christ himself is present in the sacrament of the altar 
He is to be honored with the worship of adoration. And then in quotes, to visit the blessed sacrament is a proof of gratitude, an expression of love, and a duty of adoration towards Christ our Lord. So, I mean, if this is really Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist, think about, think about what heaven is, right? Heaven is us praising and adoring Christ for eternity. So the Eucharist is a glimpse of that here on earth, right? We have Christ here in front of us. And how, how like much would he love if we spend time praising and adoring him here on earth mm-hmm. in the Eucharist? So I think it's very, very important. And that's a, that's a thing that a lot of Catholics don't even understand, like the whole idea of adoration, you know, cause that's something you have to seek out more than just Sunday mass. <laughs> um, but I highly encourage anybody that's listening that hasn't been to adoration or just hasn't been in a while, just go and see what happens. See how powerful it is. Um, I mean, it's hard to just take it from our word, but just go and experience it yourself. Like it is very powerful when you're kneeling right there in front of our Lord. Yeah. I remember, I forget who said it. I feel like I should remember. Was it Gandhi? Who knows? Um, (laughs) somebody said if Christians actually, well, I guess more specifically Catholics, um, if they actually believe that Christ was present in the Eucharist, or I don't know if that's exactly what he said. If they actually believe that Christ was present there in that tabernacle, then they would, they would like, they would approach him on their knees. They would, they would approach them. They would approach him and like with a lot more reverence than they do. And it kind of, it's a good reflection. Like when we go into adoration or when we go into mass, when we receive the Eucharist, like, are we really acting as if, or thinking as if that's truly God. That's something that's so powerful. Like every time we're in adoration, we're standing before Christ. And that's, I don't know. It just, it makes, it makes me reflect on the reverence in which we should have, um, toward the Eucharist. Um, yeah, I don't know because other people look at it and they're just like, I mean, yeah, you're Catholic and you say like, okay, yeah, I go to mass and I receive the Eucharist and this, that, and the other, but you don't even care about it. Like you don't, you don't like necessarily want to receive the Eucharist every day. You don't, you don't want to receive it every Sunday. You don't, um, you never try to spend time with Christ thinking about how much Christ longs for us to be there in adoration. Um, how much he's waiting for us. And okay. Yeah. Um, kind of went off on a tangent. But, no, that was good. But how sh- how should we respect the Eucharist if we truly believe that that's Christ? Um, that's something important. It's something that we have to be thinking about. Our reverence in Mass. If you're sitting in Mass and you're about to receive the Eucharist and you're just like laughing with the person next to you, you're doing it wrong, boss. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, and that's another interesting thing. Um, I was having a conversation with this about this with a priest recently. And we were talking about the mass and he was saying that if you go to mass and you're bored, then so what? You're not there to hear the priest give his homily, right? You're not, you're not there to hear the readings. Although those are important parts of the mass, 
the main reason you're there is to receive the Eucharist because that that overtakes all of those other things, right? So if you go and the homily's bad, you didn't learn anything from it or whatever, and you zoned off during the reading, so what? What's really important is right there when you receive the Eucharist. That is the most important and sole part of the Mass. So, yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Like, a lot of a lot of people who fall away from the Catholic Church, their whole argument... I mean, not their whole argument, but a big reason that they're leaving is they're saying, you know, Mass isn't entertaining. Like, I just go there and I'm bored. Well, that's because you really don't understand what the Eucharist is. All right, so if, you, if you're struggling with believing that the Eucharist is Jesus Christ himself, there's only one place that can change that. And that's Christ himself because faith is a gift, right? So if you want to believe, then you have to ask for that gift of faith from him. I know for me, every time before I received the Eucharist, like I have like this little prayer in my head or actually during the consecrations when I pray this. So whenever the priest holds up um, the body of Christ, my prayer is, Lord, I believe that you're truly present in the Eucharist, but help my unbelief. Help me, help me to believe more. Increase my faith. And then the same thing whenever he holds up the blood of Christ. So, yeah, faith is a gift. So we have to ask for that. Every time the priest holds up the blood, I always say the same thing. I don't know, I don't know how, when the first time I said this was, but it's actually interesting. I say... Lord, the blood you shed for me does not go unnoticed. Therefore, help me to never be afraid to shed blood for you. Whoa. I think being a martyr would be so cool. Anyway, we're going to make another podcast about martyrdom because (laughs) the martyrs are awesome. Um, But maybe if we can do... We can answer this simple thing. Um, Christian. What? Crab. Yep. Can non-Catholics receive the Eucharist? And what happens if they do? Um, Well, maybe not what happens. I guess nothing really happens. Yeah, I mean, nothing happens. Oh, I kicked the door. Um, No. So, I mean, that's a simple answer. Non-Catholics should not receive the Eucharist. Um, Can they go to adoration? Of course they can go to adoration. Hmm. Can they go to Mass? Um, yes, of course they can go to Mass. They just cannot receive the Eucharist. Okay. And that's not to just sit here and say, no, you're not part of our club, so you can't receive the Eucharist. No, that's not what this is. Um, you can't receive the Eucharist because you have to be a member of the Catholic Church, right? So, baptized and, uh, I mean, you don't have to be confirmed to receive the Eucharist, but, I mean, you need to be, you need to be, like, that far in, like, you need to be that committed into the church before you're receiving the Eucharist. I mean, that's not from the catechism. That's what I believe. I mean, that's not my personal belief. That's from what my understanding. That's what it is. I don't know exactly why. I'm not well enough first. Mm. I think it's good just to understand, like, because, man, there have been a lot of times where I see non-Catholic people like go up and it's like this super confusing thing because the priest doesn't know right like the priest doesn't know all the people were catholic like that would be insane but people go up and they're like super confused and like looking at the priest and he goes to give them the eucharist and they're just like okay and then they take it 
they walk away, like, super confused. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, so, maybe if you bring a friend who's not Catholic to Mass, remind them um, to either just stay in the pew or to go up and have their arms crossed and receive a blessing. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Which makes me think of something else. Um, a priest the other day was on was on Twitter and this had kind of like popped up on the feed. Um, it was on Craigslist or something. I forget exactly what it was on. But somebody was selling consecrated hosts. That is, they were selling the Eucharist on like Craigslist for satanic rituals. Like, wow. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. Yeah, I, th- I think... I don't know. I don't really have much to say about that. I was just really heated. And um, just to show how much the devil is at work. Um, the devil is at work in people who who allow him into their life. So don't yeah. be a sinner, I guess. Well, let's talk about when else you should not receive the Eucharist, right? So first of all, if you're not Catholic, you should not receive the Eucharist. And hopefully... You can become Catholic and mm. receive the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, but also, you should not be receiving the Eucharist if you are not in a state of grace. And this actually comes straight from the Catechism as well. 14, 15. Anyone who desires to receive Christ in Eucharistic communion must be in the state of grace. Anyone aware of having sinned mortally must not receive communion without having received absolution in the sacrament of penance. All right. So this is basically just saying like, if you've committed mortal sin and you haven't gone to confession that, then you should not receive the Eucharist. Um, so actually, I didn't know this for a while um, growing up. So, I mean, I would always just receive the Eucharist. But I mean, mortal sin, right? So first you need to know what mortal sin is. Um, I mean, here's some common ones that kind of get at people. Like if you get drunk, if you get high or use drugs... Um, if you watch pornography, if you have premarital sex, like these are all mortal sins, you know, if you're doing these, then you should not be receiving the Eucharist. Missing mass on Sunday. Oh yeah. Missing mass on Sunday. Right. That is a mortal sin as well. Um, so you shouldn't be receiving communion unless you've gone to confession after committing these sins. Um, and that's not just us saying that that is straight from the church. Yeah. And it's super good realizing why the Eucharist is important. Um, like what are the effects that the Eucharist is actually going to have on our life and why should it be important to us to receive it? Why should it be important for us to go sit in adoration and, and talk to God? Like, why are these things actually, why should, why should we long for them? Um, it's, it's true that it can become difficult, right? Prayer is always difficult. Prayer, um, not even prayer, but just like going to mass. Maybe you don't even know how to pray yet. Maybe you're forced to go to adoration with your mom or something like that. But Christ is changing your heart every time you just waste time with him. If you're in the chapel and you're just like, you're completely distracted, you're a complete mess. If you're with Christ, you're investing your time. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to let that be known. Like, Try to waste time in the chapel. Try to waste time in adoration. 
If you have like two hours open in your afternoon, like go spend 30, 45 minutes in the Adoration Chapel, just like whatever, doing some spiritual reading or praying the rosary or I don't know, writing a letter to your parents, telling them how much you just love them. I don't know. Anyway, um, but effects of the Eucharist delivers from sin. Um, it increases our baptismal grace, the grace we received at baptism. It, um, it strengthens our spiritual life and it also strengthens our life of grace. Um, and looking at it as a whole, the Eucharist is what makes the church. The Eucharist is what makes our Catholic faith. That is Jesus Christ himself. Um, and if that's not reason enough for you to say, hey, you know what? I want to go to confession. I want to um, clean my heart, clean my slate, start new, receive the Eucharist with an open heart um, in thanksgiving for what Christ did for me. That is what Eucharist actually means. It means thanksgiving. So in thanksgiving, we should run to Christ. We should run to him, run to him in adoration, run to him in the Eucharist to receive him. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, as we start wrapping this up, I think the most important thing to realize is that the Eucharist isn't something the Catholic Church has just made up. You know, it's not something we just started doing. This comes directly from Christ himself, you know. I mean, this is why we consume the Eucharist. This is why transubstantiation exists. It's because Christ himself told us to do this. Right? And if if you don't believe me, go look in the Bible, John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then he goes on to say this, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and abides in me and I in him. I mean, that's it doesn't get more clear than that. You yeah. know, like this isn't something... I mean, Protestants try to argue that, you know, it's just a, it's a symbol, it's symbolism, you know. <laughs> no, this is, this is, he doesn't say we, we should, you know, he doesn't say eat this bread and pretend it is my body. No, he said, this is my body, which will be given up for you. All right. And I think that's super important to realize, you know, this isn't something just made up. This is from God himself telling us to do this um and i think maybe to wrap up there's this really really good section of the catechism that talks about the eucharist and it kind of just sums it up perfectly it says the eucharist is the heart and the summit of the church's life for in it christ associates his church and all her members with his sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving offered once and for all on the cross to his father. By this sacrifice, he pours out the graces of salvation on his body, which is the church. Wow. Whoa. So there you have it. There it is, your complete, well, incomplete rundown on the Eucharist. But (laughs) as much as we felt like... um, just based on things we hear questions we answer often what people need to know um so just remember seek those moments where you can run to adoration seek those moments where you can receive christ in the eucharist um and 
allow him to change your life. Um, receive that, that gift that Christ is offering you, which is the gift of faith, and allow your life to be changed because of that. I think that's all I got. I think that's all I got as well. So, what? So, uh, what happened? Um, What'd you say? Follow us on Twitter. Whoa. Yeah, if you have any questions about the Eucharist, you know where to hit us up now. Mm. Um, Oh, give us. Give us five stars on Apple Podcast and Spotify and give us a rating that says you guys are dope. And then <laughs> you guys are pretty sick, gnarly. Yeah. Sick, nasty, gnarly. That would be awesome. And we thank you guys for listening. Um, and this is awesome. Let's continue to pray for each other. Let's continue to try to make a difference in this world. If you can just change yourself a little bit each day to be more the person that Christ has made you to be then you can and will change the world. So, Whoa. All right, you say it this time. I said it the last time. <laughs> uh, well, people, go forth. The podcast is ended. Thanks, speedy God.